Uh, here we are. Here again. we are for the for the twelfth time. Now, what time is it? It's it's. This is the fifth time. Fifth time. Wow. I know. I thought I would have given up a long time. Ago. You would. You would think we'd be used to it by now. I have no idea how to like. I still don't know. Organically start talking. Right. Right. Even in my everyday life. Right. So who are you? I'm Rebecca Mancia. Who are you? Why do we have to say our last names? Okay, I don't know. Because there's a lot of Rebecca's out there. That's also There's only one Clarissa, but there's lots of me's. I'm Clarissa, the one and only, (laughs) apparently. Um, Um, And this is... The Art Broadcast. Oh my god, are we going to do that? This is. (laughs) And this is... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You talk. Okay, should we do the promotional shit? Oh, I don't. I don't know. Listen, we don't know the rules, but we're gonna just put it out there that we have an Instagram. Right, all twenty of you. Yeah. Oh my God, y'all are like really appreciate. I mean, like I feel like we worked really hard for you guys. I thought tooth and nail. I've been annoying every person I know about this podcast. But the loyalty is real. So I love you all. I appreciate it. Yeah. I've lost my notes completely. Where are they? Okay. Get them, girl. Um, yeah, so we have an Instagram. It's called... The Art Broadcast. <laughs> it's called the bra- Art the Broadhouse. The Art Broadhags. Bra- I ha- love that. Ew. <laughs> I know. Hag? I don't like that word. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you'll take this out. Anyway, um, this is the Art Broadcast. Yeah, so follow us. Keep um, up with us. You're listening to this. Uh, we talk about women artists and why they're important. And, right. um, yeah. And if you know nothing about art and you want to know about art, I guess that's Or if you know nothing about anything. Right. And uh, if you don't want to know nothing about nothing, then still listen to us. Still listen to us. (laughs) Because we don't know anything either. Yeah, this is true. It's fine. Um, So today... Who are we talking about? Are you ready? Are you ready for the Portuguese that's right. about to be handed we to you? We are... Right. We are um, doing a Brazilian painter. Painter? Um, a Brazilian artist. She's a little bit of everything. <clears throat> Her name is Ligia Papi. Papi. And, Bapi. well, shout out to my brother-in-law for helping us with these Portuguese translations. Thank you. We really appreciate it. So. Yeah, so Ligia... Was again just badass of the badasses. What'd she do? Where's she from? So she was born in uh, Brazil. So she was born Ligia Caravalho, but she so she got married pretty young, and that's where Pop Poppy comes from. Um, but she was born and died in Rio de Janeiro. Um, so Poppy was born um, April seventh, nineteen twenty nine. Um, and she died? She died May 3rd, 2004. So she lived a pretty good life, yeah, I think. Long. Yeah. She died in Brazil in her motherland. Um, so she was a visual artist, a sculptor, engraver. Printmaker, filmmaker. Yeah, um, but she was the key figure in um, a very famous movement, which is, Rob? The Concrete Movement. Yeah. And then later, the Neo-Concrete Movement, because... Which I think is, like, a lesser-known movement. I I don't know that the Concrete Movement altogether is at... It's not, like, Impressionism or mm-hmm. Modernism. It's not as... It's part of that. It was mm-hmm. came from um, sort of the legacy of the European avant-garde abstraction of the time and was born from 
their take on, like, Dutch works of the time mm. and was European influence in Latin America, definitely. Mm. So it's super heavy in, like, the geometric... Has nothing um, to do with concrete mixing. Right. <laughs> so if you're picturing concrete, like, please don't. Uh, just picture very geometric, very linear um, works. Her her pieces specifically, some of them are two-dimensional, some of them are three-dimensional, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. She has some installations that are really, really breathtaking yeah um but before we get into that she was born into a middle class family um her family has musical like comes from a musical background yeah so she was not taught traditional like traditionally in the arts it's not like her first degree she didn't get until the 70s and it was in philosophy and that's why I think her work is kind of born from her relationship to the community at the time and to the arts um yeah so her her dad loved opera and birds for whatever reason he there were always like herons and parrots loose in the house mm-hmm. in her in her childhood home so um and she married a chemist interesting yeah so at 22, Lysia marries Gunther Papi. I don't know if he's, I don't know. There isn't a whole lot about her life. Like her Wikipedia page is pretty sparse. And I got a lot of this information from a great book that was published by like the Met Publications, Lysia Pape, A Multitude of Forms, which is also what her first retrospective exhibit was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where there's not a lot on her, right. of her on the internet. And so they move to a different region in Brazil. And then eventually go to Rio de Janeiro in 1952. Um, And then she starts going to artist gatherings and exhibits and talks in Rio. Um, And Brazil at this time. And I mean, Brazil in general was pretty... uh, Are we doing a pause? An art history (gasps) pause? Art history break. I don't know what I... Oh, that was what you did last time. That's my club noise. Yeah, that's your... So this is history history. Right. So So in Brazil, after World War II, there was an intense industrialization and modernization that was set into motion, um, that set into motion profound social and cultural changes. Um, So this included, like, new capitals, lots of new architecture going up, and I think the concrete and neo-concrete movements were really born from this fast industrialization that was put forth by the president of the time. It was, art in Brazil was very figurative, very traditional, as it is in a lot of Latin American countries. If Jesus isn't there, nobody cares. And that's how it was in Brazil, too. And then so they moved, along with the culture of the time, towards um, modernism and geometrics and sort of the simplification of the self, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was also three, tons of museums were coming up at this time, between 1947 and 1951. Um, Three museums dedicated to the arts of the time, one in Sao Paulo, and then um, one in, or two there, and then one in Rio de Janeiro. And then Max Bill, who is a pretty big name, um, he had the first exhibit at one of the museums in Brazil. So, um, and he was the one who popularized concrete art in Latin America. Um, He promoted the style that began with Theo van Doesburg. And uh, so he began the new collective after the breakup of De Steele style, like Dutch abstract movement. That was also a magazine, which happens a lot 
in like the 1930s and 40s, like there was no Instagram, so everything was like a fucking paper. Right. And that's how they would communicate and like publish their poetry and their works um, and their exhibits and things. And so after the breakup of that, him and a Uruguayan painter sort of started this concrete movement. Joaquin Torres Garcia. Yeah. Um, and he he was Spanish and Uruguayan. And, but they were divided on, like, who was really abstract and who wasn't abstract enough and, like, who was still relying on, like, re- referencing things and referentiality. Um, and then so Van Doesburg defined concrete art as intended to define the objective of art through paintings that have no other significance than themselves. It forbade the use of natural forms, lyricism, and sentiment. So he was, bitches are using squares or nothing. I don't want to see anything right. else in if your work. If it works. looks realistic, get out of here. And of course, it's like, everyone wants to define it. Yeah. But I think, like, around this time, like, abstract art was, like, the main kind of art. Around, right. Yeah. Even cubism and stuff was trying to move away from right. the figurative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and towards something simple. It was all about, like, expression at this point. Um, yeah, but that's what I think... So, in 1954, um, Ligia is one of the founding members of Grupo Frente. Frente. Yeah. Um, along with Ligia Clark, who's kind of a bigger name, and then Elio... Oh, oh Elio... Oh, man. Otisica. Otisica, who's a famous name. They formed this group of concrete artists in um, Rio de Janeiro. And then another group of the same sort of principles of concrete art was formed in Sao Paulo. And there's some infighting there also, uh, which I think is kind of funny. It was like, you're not concrete art. You're too romantic. I'm We're concrete yeah, art over right. here. There's like a big debate here on what concrete art is. Right. And who's, who's real and who's not. Right. Who's the realist around. I think Inspire. it's a very interesting movement, this Grupo Frente. Mm-hmm. Assuming I'm Puerto Rican, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm, I am feeling forced to just say it. That's what I'm saying. It's like high Valyrian. I'm speaking a language from Game of Thrones. Right, right. So, um... So I think it's a very interesting movement, and I think it's kind of impressive that these, you know, these group of people think feel so strongly about. Oh, they they feel very concrete, strongly about the concrete movement. <laughs> I love that. And not, and I mean, it was like a decent group of people. Like the real heavy yeah. hitters of art in Brazil at the time were either in one group or another, mm-hmm. and were I fighting mean, amongst themselves. Was dabbled in the concrete. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was with um, Van Doesburg up there. He was he was hanging out, and I think her this her style during this time is really reminiscent of that and like Russian constructivism and stuff at the time. So you're gonna get to her like first sort of series. So she kind of like Mendieta is like very about the series. Mm-hmm. She like takes an idea, follows it all the way through, mm-hmm. and. Um, so we're going to talk about, like, I mean, the, her first major works are these little... What year, though? In 1954. Yeah, so 1954, Poppy demon, demonstrates her abstract vocabulary of geometric shapes and primary colors. Um, she's, like, painted stripes and lines and, like, squares on squares on a white background, and it's mostly, like, primary colors and black. 
Um, and they're reminiscent of, like, Russian suprematism of the time. And then, so this is kind of where she starts off everything. They're very, they're about 16, and I mean, everything is in meters, but they're about 16 by 16. So they're perfect squares of white with, yeah. like, minimal painting on top. And, uh, yeah, they're, like, sort of floating mm-hmm. in space. But And then so she moves from this into reliefs. So also in the 50s, um, she does a series of works called um, Relevios. Excuse the pronunciation yet again. Um, and these are a series... <laughs> Damn them. Um, these are a series of uh, reliefs that she's done. Um, these, just to describe them a little bit, um, they really do look like they're machine cut. Yeah. The precision that she does for these works are pretty insane and very impressive to look at. Um, So these are two-dimensional. And again, like a square. Right. Like a perfect square with things on top of it. Yeah. So just for, just to help visualize, we'll post all these photos on our Instagram, but just to like help visualize, these squares are literally um, coming off of the surface that she's created. Um, Yeah. So one of them is like... Yeah. 15 perfect Mm -hmm. squares with perfect spaces in Mm -hmm. between them and it's just red on top and white on the sides Mm -hmm. coming off of one board. Again, only using primary colors. Mm -hmm. She's really keeping her palette very, very, very simple. Um, No blending of colors, no brush strokes. Just very straight to the point. But also, this looks hard as fuck. Oh, I was very labor-intensive. Technically, you look at it straight ahead and it's like, oh, like... Like, okay, you could do that. But, like, really? This looks super difficult. It's super, like, the precision that she's used is... And this is, yeah, sort of... Her hand is always a big deal yeah, in her work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- she creates these works. Also in the 50s, she does um, another series called... Dar- she So also in the 50s, uh, Ligia creates these uh, series of woodcuts called... Tacelares. Yeah. Um, or tack. One or the other. Right. Whatever Whatever you wish. Um, although she doesn't refer to these until 1979. Right. She does um, a lot of reflection on her yeah. early work later in her career, but at the time she was just kind of making... Mm-hmm. So... Not only in Brazil, but in the 1950s, like, woodcut printing was very popular. Um, and it was linked to folk representations. And, again, the same with, like, things like embroidery was seen as a lesser than form of art. And, again, when you come into prints, it's like, is this an original? Is this a... Right. It's like this whole question of, like, oh, is it a reproduction? Right. How many of these were ever made? Is this the real... And it's hard to make them. Right. It's difficult to make them the way they are. can many times be more complex than a painting itself. Right. And she... So she took on this art form and saw it as not a craft, the way that people would treat, you know, a Mm -hmm. quote-unquote printmaker. Um, But she was... she thought of her, she was making high art, and she was. And she sort of criticized criticized the prevailing um, concepts of her contemporaries that were doing a lot of heavy figurative works. And so she was using these woodcuts um, very in the pape way, like very linear and clean and simple and straightforward. Um, And these especially like sort of blur the lines between what's foreground and what's background. And like, even though they are static still images, they're 
the way that they're interacting with each other um, is really like beautiful and kind of you you start to see planes happening like mm-hmm. the way that they're like is this are you seeing something that's coming at you or far away from you and I think there's there's a sense of movement there which I think is interesting mm-hmm. so yeah again this is she'll use this metaphor a lot lately later in her work too but it's like the weaving of something um and the techniques that she's using of like something that the indigenous cultures of Brazil would use. Yeah, so even though her works are exceptionally abstract and very modern, feel modern. Kind of, yeah. yeah, they feel very modern, but in the core of it, she is still taking it back to her indigenous roots and her indigenous culture. Um, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I think mean, it's great. Yeah. And she was a pretty political person her right. her whole life. So in 1957, are we there yet? Yeah, we're there. Okay. Here we are. So in 1957, there was actually tension between her Grupo Frente um, and another uh, group of concrete artists. Which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So the Sao Paulo artists were more orthodox in their inheritance to the movements doctrines. Yeah, so like this idea of concrete art being about the simple geometric shapes and forms and lines and nothing really beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of tension and the disparities between it led to the formation of the neo-concrete movement. Um, and then the manifesto was signed by Ligia Papi and Ligia Clark and Elio Oticio. Oticia? How do we say? Oticia. Uh, side note, Leisha Clark is also an amazing artist, and we will most likely do an We'll episode. do her. Yeah. Right? Like, We're going to be doing this well into our yeah, 80s. For so. sure. <laughs> we'll be fine. die doing this podcast. Right. So mm-hmm. any female artists out there, you never know. Right. We could be doing an episode Maybe on be you. exceptional enough, yeah. and we'll talk about exactly. you. Exactly. Um, but they, so this group, this new group of the neoconcretists... They, I don't know if that's what they called themselves. Concretists. They believed that art represented more than the materials used to create and transcended these mechanical relationships. They wanted to be expressive and integrate art into everyday life. They didn't reject their previous movement, but wanted to reformulate this, the concrete art. Um, So what did Poppy, Poppy say about her approach? So, in quotations, she writes, um, well, she says, My concern is always invention. I always want to invent a new language that's different for me and for others, too. I want to discover new things because, to me, art is a way of knowing the world, to see how the world is, of getting to know the world. So she's definitely trying to create a whole different perspective for for herself. Yeah. She wants her artwork to not only interpret, you know, what she feels, uh, but she wants us to interpret it as well with, yeah. how, with how we feel. Which I think is pretty incredible to, yeah. like, she... I mean, we'll talk about this later, but she really involves the audience and the viewer in the artworks. Mm-hmm. And in a way that, that not... Even today, a lot of contemporary artists like want there to be a separation mm-hmm. between the viewer and the the object. And what I love about her is that, like, really, her her art is not academic. 
you know, she's really getting exposed to these ideas um, solely by the circle that she's surrounding herself yeah. in. Um, she Her education is not really artistic-based. Um, she is really kind of going by her community and, like, the people that she's been hanging out with. So, like, her and her artist friends are kind of just, like, figuring this out. Like, as, hey, bro, I like yeah. squares. Do you like squares? Let's, let's make a bunch of squares. Let's make a language out of this shit. Like, right. let's just talk to each other with it. And I think it's just, like, awesome. Like, you know, you don't need a freaking <laughs> bachelor's or a master's degree in, like, concrete art in order to to understand it, you know? And and it's, I mean, what I think we talk about a lot is that, like, art is accessible to literally mm-hmm. everyone. Everyone should be able to go into a museum. And, like, if you really take yourself out of the equation and just, like, appreciate the pieces of art you're in front of, like, that's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's incredible. And I th- so I think that's where she come, she's coming from is, like, I want everyone to... I want, they talk about in their manifesto, in this um, neo-concrete manifesto, that they want art to be part of an ev- of everyday life. They want it not to be something that you, like, do for fun or as an activity, but they want it to be something that you're constantly thinking about, which right. is beautiful. Like a language. Yeah, a language. Yeah. It's great, and I love it. It's awesome. Hey, Alicia. Okay. So this year she wins the acquisition. What is what? what? She wins the acquisition prize for printmaking um, at one of the at the museum. The Salon Nacional de Arte. Moderna. Moderna in Rio. So basically that was Spanish and Portuguese mixed Whatever, you know, it's the BNL. Give us all the breaks, guys. Portuguese people don't come for us. Right. I don't know. We try. I'm I'm real sorry. Yeah, really. Um, I can't pronounce any language, not even English. So don't be mad at me. Um, so the next piece that we're, right? The next yeah, piece? Yeah, yeah, This, this one? Right? So this, this, so the Neo and Concrete Manifesto was printed in a publication, Supplement, Supplemento Domnicical of the Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same edition, Poppy publishes her own article talking about her own works, which is pretty great. So the work that she discusses in this publication is ballet. Non- Neo, Neo Cre- Creto. Which yeah. is concrete. Yeah. Number one. So she did this a couple times, but the first iteration um, is a ballet based on a poem by... Reginaldo Hardim, um, which is also a member member of the movement. Um, and in his poem, the words for I and target are arranged in different steps in like a choreographed score, quote unquote. So Poppy built this poem basically, basically and brought it to life. Um, so the way she does this um, is she she literally built four white cylinders. Huge. Like, um, enough yes. for a human so to get So she in. builds these, like, circular structures um, that are supposed to represent the eye. So alongside these white cylinder structures, she creates four orange parallel, almost like rectangular pegs 
Um, they're all about six feet tall and two feet wide. So the photo we are looking at right now does not do this justice. Like it must be so fucking. We cool. have nothing here for perspective, so they literally look like they little, look like little pieces. They on look the like table. little pieces of blocks. There is one photo that I saw that, that I'll try to find again that has Poppy in the like. But this is, so this was this ballet with these huge, like, foam-built rectangles and cylinders was put on. It was, like, produced by and performed by professional ballet dancers um, at the Teatro Copacabana Palace. Um, And so, yeah, there's, like, fucking human beings, like waddling around inside of these things. Right, so they're literally hidden inside with tiny little air holes. <laughs> they're literally <laughs> hidden inside these little rectangular and like circular little like little cubes basically. Right, yeah. Little I, building some blocks. of them must be they literally over. look like like if you can picture this, like they can they literally look like the building blocks that you used when you were a kid at like the doctor's office. Like they literally you know Yeah, they're orange about? and yellow. Yeah, they or white. Like, to think about the the grandeur of these pieces is pretty great. It's it's cool. Yeah. I, it must be really uncomfortable and it's hot and sweaty in there, I bet. Because there's it. also, like, lights beaming on them. The lighting is very dramatic. Yeah. So... Um, maybe we'll we'll post the poem on our Instagram, too. Oh, yeah. I I'm curious to read that shit. So, I... It's kind of... Interesting. I don't know if it's because she's maybe not the most well-known artist or that she's also Brazilian. Yeah. But there's not a ton of information about her out there. So she also made a ton of films. Not yet, but later in her career. Mm -hmm. And I can't find a lot of them. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll have to do some digging, some archival digging. Listen, I have a full-time job. (laughs) I'll I'll have to do some archival digging. Um, Um, Yeah, so she's doing, like, these really experimental things, which is cool. So, but she also does, I, I think this is her book's, are maybe oh, my favorite yeah. pieces of hers. They yeah. are so cool. Right. Um, so after her little building block project, <laughs> <laughs> she does, in 1959, she does um, what she calls Book of Creations, which is Libro de Creación, um, which is probably the one Creación. Creación. Um, sort of like French. Yeah, yeah. So these are a series of books. Right, but books in the least right. traditional right. sense like, you could if ever. you if you want to think of a book, please don't because it doesn't. <laughs> it they don't look like books, like what a traditional book would look like. Um, they are very geometric. So they're they're, they're pages, yeah, quote unquote pages, yeah, sort of origami. Like they have yeah. like origami elements. They have some like you know paper snowflake elements <laughs> to them. Um, still very consistent with the it, primary colors. Very colorful. Um, colorful in like a very simple right simple way because each understated each page is really just like well each book is really like max two colors like maybe three colors so this one the first one that she did Mm -hmm. um she's describing genesis like the our creation basically whatever but okay so so it's 16 loose leaves of like painted board so it's painted gouache and then pieces that every page is different so they like some 
um, have like holes cut in them and some of them have like leaflets and they are meant to be manipulated by the viewer. So as you're reading this book, you're manipulating the pages and then you'll see them however you you interpret it. So every reading, quote unquote, is different than the last. And so you're, so, so it's the book of creation. So it's twofold. Like not only is she telling the story of creation, but also the viewer is creating the book as they view the work. So it's pretty, I mean, I think it's fucking incredible. Yeah. And so there's one of light. So this one has is like just a yellow square with a with a hole cut in it and then there's a like one of the photos that's shown is like a light beam coming through the center of the page which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. and then um one of them looks like a pac-man one of them oh yeah it does so she's still so she made this book series and continues to make these books but she's also making still making woodcuts <laughs> All the way through 1960. Um, and she was influenced... Her later woodcuts are um, really influenced by Joseph Albers mm-hmm. and his, like... Because you can feel the wood grain yeah. in some of her woodcuts. So she's still using the same techniques, but these are a little more textured than the others. In 1960s, what was she doing? Um, so she's creating more books. More books. Um, so she creates this other series. It's called Book of Time. Uh, Libro de Tempo. Du, du Tempo. Du Tempo? Du Tempo. Du Tempo. Yeah. Du tempo. Um, so this one is probably her most well-known Um this is like a collection of 365. Yeah, one for every day yeah. of the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it, it applies a lot of her previous mm-hmm. techniques of um, like the things that she was doing with the books, but instead of cardboard, it's wood again. So she's utiliz- utilizing her past techniques of wood cutting and assembling and these machine made pieces and her sort of the sort of pop-up aspects of her so they look very much like legos don't they they, don't they look like legos incredible it's um so it literally looks like 365 um like little lego creations because it's like reds and blues and yellows and blacks like she does not play with her color scheme at all like She's just like red, blue, yellow, black, white, but all put together. So there are each. That's it. She's only using orange, like th- yeah, like very simple colors. So each of these pieces, none of them are exactly the same, and right. they're all, I think, about six by six. Mm-hmm. But she, I mean, they put it in a meter, so six inches by six inches, and they are all meant to be displayed all together at once. Right. So it's just like this one huge wall of these little Lego looking things that you could just stare at for days. It's Especially so cool. because not a one of them is exactly the same as the other one. It's just like the most entertaining and most satisfying thing to look at. Like aesthetically, this is peak. This is top. <laughs> it's very, top 
very top cool. aesthetic. Like I want so many of these. I want this one right here. This guy. I want that. Guy. It's so it's like white I and it has a little triangle that. coming down the top. They're, they're so they're like they're awesome. There's like a cuteness We're to them. We're gonna put too. it on our Instagram, but it's like super super. Cool. <laughs> it's very yeah. and it, yeah, it's so graphic mm-hmm. and I don't know. I think Linear, it utilizes still very geometric, still very neo concrete. Still playing with the idea of the yeah, square and yes. the spatial plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just like very fucking like, cool. Just to make a note as well, like looking at these, they're so what society would consider masculine. Uh, quote unquote masculine. I, I hate I know. I hate when people describe our work as masculine or I feminine. Know, but like what the fuck does that even mean? Does I, it got a big old vagina on it? I nah. Okay. These are a little vaginal though. Yeah. Nothing is like a penis. Nothing's coming at you like nothing's coming at you. It's welcoming you into it. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't know. That's my <laughs> that's my own interpretation okay. of the penile and the vaginal. Um Fuck, man. Have I said that this episode yet? No, you haven't. Not yet. Um, I, we don't know anything about her life, so I don't know which men fucked her over but I or didn't. I think she was married for a long time. I don't know that she was divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, Elio, her very good friend, work, she they worked together for a long time. And, uh, and when he died, she took over, like, she worked on his foundation and she worked in, like, curating his exhibits and stuff. So, so far, no men has fu- have fucked that we Lichia over. That I know of. I wasn't there. Looks so. like Gunther was pretty good enough to her, too, so. Right. The chemist was a good guy, yeah. I think. I mean, nothing. Nothing so far. Mm-hmm. Just the Brazilian government, but, um... But other than that, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that. like World War Two, right? No big other deal. than that, I think we're fine. Um, yeah, so she's working on these through the nineteen sixties, and then she begins work in graphic design and experimental film. Um, so she's she created logos, packaging, and visual branding for Queen Cosmetics, and then started working like to make. Um, film posters and film credit, opening credit scenes during this time too. And she was making her own videos and films and installations that were off that often utilized sarcasm and metaphor to oppose the Brazilian dictatorship of the time. But it was a little more subtle and only became more and more subtle as time went on. But... Um, she also makes a very strange work, again, kind of like ballet, a weird performance that I really like. Mm. Um, yeah, so in 1967, she first conceives of, um, this, this performance, um, called The Wheel of Pleasure, Mm. that was performed on Bara de Tijuca, I think it's Tijuca, because I think they pronounce the J's, Um, a beach. And so the installation comprises of, like, bowls all forming a circle. And in this circle are, like, in this circle are bowls, and the bowls are filled with really brightly colored liquids. And participants and viewers are 
given tiny little like medicine droppers. Interesting. That they put into the liquids and test, taste test. Mm-hmm. And so like the liquids could be like bright yellow or bright pink or bright red. And but they would t- the ranges would range from pleasant to unpleasant. And the colors didn't coordinate to any sort of taste. So it could be green and taste um, really vinegary, or it could be pink and taste really, um, I guess pink would be sweet. I don't know. Yeah, it like depends. sour. Like or sour or, or something. Like, yeah. Or tart or like yeah, so, bitter or something. Um, yeah, so it's a weird one. But yeah, I think, again, she's playing with, one, the participation aspect of viewing an artwork and also like your expectations coming like oh this is blue so it would taste like blueberries Mm, or whatever right 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 right. green would taste like spinach yeah or like minty minty yeah Yeah, or Mm -hmm. like yellow will taste like banana pink strawberries so on and so forth right so you're like fundamental Mm -hmm. ideas of what something is Oh, wait, so of this, Poppy says, an ambivalence of the senses was created. The eye saw one thing and was delighted, but the tongue might reject it or could reinforce what the eye has already devoured. Couldn't it? Mm -hmm. I like that. She seems fun. Yeah, she seems sassy. Sassy. Aren't we all? Yeah, right. Then she makes, the very next year, she makes Divisior divider mm-hmm. so she again it's a square she's again playing with the square and wow this is weird it's a weird one so, so this is like a participant like it's, you, it's you like have an, to participate this is like this an interactive exist. one um yeah. where people are like involved so she cut holes in this 30 meter by 30 meter white sheet she cut holes in it it's huge. I don't know how big a meter is. Oh, but I know this one. So it's huge. And then people, and then the holes, people would put their heads in. Mm-hmm. And then you had to, so it started off in the streets. So people would walk the streets in all under this, this blanket sort of thing. So you could only see everyone's head right. and all of their body was hidden. So it's like a sea of just like white heads. I mean, just like heads. Heads and, over and a white over plane. Over a white plane, yeah. And so, yeah, in order for this to work, there has to be participation. Like there's no, there's no like, wait. yeah, I guess you can look at photographs and films of it now, but at its initial iteration. It was a performance. It yeah, was it was a, a performance, performance piece. Yeah. And Which is different than her, what she was, you know, doing a year prior. Um, she's moved off the wall. Yeah, yeah. And kind of, and into, she was making a lot of films at the time. But, um, yeah, I think it's, she's she's talking about the square, like I said, and like the self and the community again, and like visualizing social interaction and disregarding you as an individual mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because you are just up something to propel this huge white sheet along. Um, I I think it's fucking it's super fucking weird, yeah, but it's really really, really cool. But it's really cool. It is very different. I think. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting take on like. Um, she's trying to, you know, visualize this as a community, as, like, a society, as opposed of, like, individuals, um, which is kind of different than what she was trying, the point she was kind of p- 
like the point she was trying to get across before like I feel like before with her other like concrete uh, movement works she was focusing on like individual individuality and like all that jazz yeah um and like language and like I think yeah I think she's it's morphed her idea of the individual has become more of the like what it means to be part of a community Mm -hmm. um so I don't know is it time for another history art history pause there's a lot of shit happening in Brazil at the time poor poor Brazil I guess why well, okay, so okay. again, here comes the U.S. government. Um, they're involved. They're up in the shit. Of course, they worried about Castro. But during this time in Brazil, there was an upheaval. and Castro? Yeah, so um, they were worried about Cuba. Mm. And Brazil had ties to Cuba. Um, so there was a ton of, like, military operations and cute and like coups um the cia was fucking involved and they were trying to overthrow power so first i mean there's several presidents but general artu de costa y Seville gave, gave himself so he was president of the time he gave the president dick power and dissolved Congress and legislators and suspended the Constitution and imposed censorship. So he did all of this. And then he suffered a stroke and died. (laughs) So his suppressor, um, Medici, was this real fuck. And he sponsored the gr- one of the greatest human rights abuses of the period with torch with like rampant torture and persecution and censorship. So Brazil was having a really tough time. Like there were people being tortured for information and every journalists were being persecuted constantly and no one felt that they had free speech, um, especially artists. And so Ligia was very political and very anti-dictatorship. And she participated in this sort of historic march of the 100,000 in Rio in response to the police repression. And then, like, a young student had died just recently before this because of his involvement. And there was, like, a military um, presence everywhere. Um, and it didn't end until 1985. So it was, it was, a, it was a long couple decades for Brazil. Um, but despite all of this, she earns her bachelor's in 1972 in philosophy. I know, of all things. Of all things, she's not After art. being an artist for how many years? And she was exhibiting a lot and, like, working a lot yeah, with her neo-country like, group and publishing and curating. Yeah, she was like, forget about it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I gotta figure out what's I need, happening. I need, I need something else, which is kind of funny. But she was, she stayed involved in art. She yeah. like got this degree in philosophy, but was still participating in the arts. Um, and she, so how old is she in 1972? She was born 19, what, So she's like 44? 45? Yeah. Yeah. Just about. So, yeah, so she earns her degree, and then she begins teaching, and she teaches at the Centro de Arquitectura um, until 1985 in Rio. And um, 
And I think her experience teaching really informed her work. And she got her, so she got her bachelor's and then she got her master's and then she got her, she started her doctorate, but I think she might have died before she finished it. Mm. I'm kind of sad. But, um, so she, in 1979, she first conceives of an idea that isn't implemented until the 1990s. So in 1979, she basically creates probably easily our favorite. I I um, love a lot of them, but this one's pretty cool. Yeah, so she creates... um, Tyus. Tyus, which is kind of an experimental thing for her. Um, At the time, she was teaching, um, so she was experimenting with her students. Um, But it, like Reb said, it wasn't, you know, produced to its full grandeur until until the 1990s. Um, So the series basically consists of... um, um, semi-transparent prisms using gold threads. So if you can picture it, it's it's from floor to ceiling. Yeah, so it's like from floor to ceiling thread in a very parallel, very linear um, type of formation. Um, they almost look like you know sun shining through like a yeah, gla- like a glass. And window. they're staggered so that like some of them yeah. are crisscrossing and like they're coming out at um, angles. Yeah, exactly. So so um, they're very carefully strung into geometric shapes from floor to ceiling. Um, and so depending on where you're standing yeah. as the viewer, the artwork changes. Again, it's right. per, like it depends a lot on your participation, but also like it's. I don't know, it feels, like, very spiritual, too, right. which is something that her other work isn't really... It's, it's still very personal, because it just, it has to do with, with yourself, where you're standing, your perspective of these gold threads. Yeah, because they're, like, like beams of light yeah, like coming in. Yeah, in. like, in some instances they look very much like thread, but in, in, in other, in other stands, they, it looks like beams of light. Um, and it's really beautiful. It's, it literally looks like gold like illuminating like treasure or something like that <laughs> like in a movie yeah. scene when they like open up the chest and it's super like, unique and this is like what in the 1990s like I feel like I've seen this done several like or she sued um was it LG I think for like using these visuals and they're like cell phone campaigns in the 1990s. I feel like I've seen these before, but not in her, like, in her words. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... I don't know if she won that lawsuit or not, but... Oh, man, I hope so. I hope so, yeah. But they're cool, and, uh... I think it's, again, like, we get to see her evolve as an Mm, artist. This is mm. totally different than her, like, little squares. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It's, like, night and day. Like, But still, like, the same principles and concepts. Yeah, yeah. So there's still a lot of geometric in here. Like, they are just so, like, almost perfectly, like, side by side. These threads are, like, not even touching, but they're so close to one another. Right. right? Very precise. Yeah, they're precise. Precision prevails. It's too much alliteration. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, so she does the series um, in she, the 1990s. Yeah, she's an she's an older lady. Yeah, but she's still super close with her concrete, her neo concrete grupo. What was it? Frente, frente people. Yeah, Lisa Clark and Elio 
Oti. See, it's spelled differently in I here. I spell it differently every time Otikia in the notes. yeah or something Otisika. Otisika. Um, so that she's she's very close with them, and when Elio dies, um, he dies kind of early on in the 80s. When he dies, she, like, helps with his foundation, and she curates a lot of the shows of his, and she's part... She's was... She was really successful, like, her, throughout her career, she had solo shows and exhibits and publications, and she was really involved, but she never took on, like, gallery representation, and so I think that's why she's not as well-known as some of her contemporaries. Like, she's, now she's, um, I think Hauser and Worth. mm show her work but she didn't have gallery representation until very late in her career I think like the late 90s it's so interesting because like when we were looking this up like there's a market for her work now like you can look up on artsy um and her you know they're selling her shit right which is very interesting but yeah at the time I don't know how like monetarily successful she was and she was in museums and especially the big museums in Brazil but um she didn't have her first retrospective of her work until 2017 13 years after she died um right yeah so So she was a part of she was featured in at the hammers um radical women's um exhibit right so that's quite an accomplishment yeah and i and yeah she worked throughout her life and all the way up until she died in 2004 um on May 3rd in Rio de Janeiro from complications related to long-term meliodysplasia. I think it's like a bone, bone disorder. Um, but yeah, so her daughter, Paula or Paula, I don't know how you say it in Portuguese, but, um, she sort of runs her foundation now. Um, so that's Ligia Pape. Right. I feel like, there's not literally we talk about we're talking about underrated female artists all the time but yeah, I feel like, like talk there's about underrated. so little about her out there and I think Leisha Clark probably has a little bit more info but I I really like Leisha Pape yeah I like her Poppy. work a lot Poppy I think it's really really cool stuff I think it's fucking cool yeah and she uh, she's really dedicated mm-hmm. to her work too and like not traditionally trained no which wow. is awesome what a badass. I know. She's like, fuck it. I don't need no degree. I'm going to study philosophy. Philosophy. Yeah, she got her doctorate. I know. Um, yeah, so she's dead, and uh, and we're, so we're, let's all talk about her. Yeah, I'm dead, too. So this we'll is, post this is my all corpse. these images on Instagram. They'll be really interesting. Will they? To see. Uh, yeah, hell yeah. I think, like, <laughs> aesthetically, they're, like, wow. super dope. Um, I'm sorry. Um, aesthetically, they'll be super dope. Yeah, super dope. Um, but, okay, so also, like, fucking rate and review and subscribe and shit. Yeah, and, like... If you like us. If you don't like us, maybe don't rate us. I know. Don't <laughs> say a damn thing. Just keep it to yourself. <laughs> um, but you also listen to this whole episode, yeah. so what are you doing if all you the way down here? If you know us individually, then Texas. <laughs> Than Texas. And tell us what you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll work on it. Right. Um, Clarice is going to talk louder. 
And why? I'm going to talk slower. Oh, right. Because one of the things that was said was that I don't talk. I'm not loud enough. Um, I'm too loud. I'm going to say probably. Um, but yeah. Okay, so thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening.